Chapter Thirty Four of Crips the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Four A Wolhopian. It is only fair towards Mr. Sharp to acquit him of all intention to trust his wife with a very important secret as long as he could help it. He was well aware of the risk he ran in taking such a desperate step, but the risk was forced upon him now by several circumstances also he wanted her aid just now in a matter in which he could not possibly have it without trusting her hence he resolved to make a virtue of necessity as the saying is and at the same time get the grand relief which even a strong mind in long scheming obtains by having its burden shared this resolve of his was no sudden one for several days he had made up his mind that when he should be questioned upon the subject which he foresaw must happen it would earn the credit of candor and the grace of womanly gratitude by making a clean breast of it there could be no better season than this the house was quiet his son was away the shadows of the coming evening softly fell before her step cross duck lane looked very touching in the calm of twilight and mrs sharp was in the melting mood therefore the learned and conscientious lawyer perceived that the client's affairs about which he was going to busy himself might safely wait for another day while he was sweeping his own hearth clean so he locked the door and looked out of the window where sparrows were swarming to their ivy roost and then he drew in the old lattice and turned the iron tongue that fastened it mrs sharp looked on while some little suggestion of fear came to qualify eagerness luke i declare you quite make me nervous i shall be afraid to go to bed to-night really a stranger or a timid person would think that you were going to confess a murder my dear if you feel at all inclined to give way mr sharp answered as if glad to escape we will have out our talk to-morrow or no to-morrow i have an appointment at woodstock the day after that we will recur to it i see that it will be better so luke is your mind astray i quite fear so can you imagine that i could wait for two days after what you have told me my dear i was only considering yourself if you wish it i will begin at once only for your own sake i must insist on your sitting calmly down there my dear now do not agitate yourself there is nothing to frighten anybody it is the most simple thing and you will laugh when you have heard it then i wish i had heard it luke for i feel more inclined to cry than laugh miranda you must not be foolish such a thing is not at all like you very well now you are quite sedate now please do not interrupt me once but ask your questions afterwards if you ask me a question i shall stop and go to the office with my papers mr sharp looked at his wife and she bowed her head in obedience to begin at the very beginning he said with a smile to reassure her you will do me the justice to remember that i have worked very hard for my living and i have prospered well miranda having you as both the foundation and the crown of my prosperity i was perfectly satisfied as you know living quite up to my wishes and putting a little cash by every year of our lives and paying on a heavy life insurance in case of my own life dropping for the sake of you and christopher you know all that 
Darling Luke, I do, but you make me cry when you talk like that. Very well, that is as it should be. We were as happy as need be expected until the great wrong befell us, the fierce injustice of losing every farthing to which we were clearly entitled. You were the proper successor to all the property of old Fermitage, that old curmudgeon and wholesale prisoner of the university made a fool of himself towards his latter end by marrying Miss Oglander, old Blackstrap, as of course we know had no other motive for doing such a thing except his low ambition to be connected with a good old family. Ever since he began life as a bottle-boy in the cellars of old Jerry Pigout, He never did that, Luke. How can you speak so of my father's first cousin? He was an extremely respectable young man. My father always said so. While he was making his money, Miranda, of course he was respectable and everybody respected him as soon as he made it. However, I have not the smallest intention of reproaching the poor old villain. He acted according to his lights, and they led him very badly. A foolish ambition induced him to marry that pompous old maid, Joan Oglander, who had been jilted by Commodore Patch, the son of the famous captain. We all know what followed. The old man was but a doll in the hands of his lady-wife. He left all the scrapings and screwings of his life for her to do what she pleased with. At least everybody supposes so. What do you mean, Luke? asked Mrs. Sharp, having inkling of legal surprises. Do you mean that there is a later will? Has he done justice to me after all? No, my dear, he never saved his soul by attending to his own kindred but he just had the sense to make a little change at last when his wife would not come near him. You know what he died of. It was coming on for weeks, though at last it struck him suddenly. The port wine fungus of his old vaults grew into his lungs and stopped them. It had shown for some time in his face and throat, and his wife was afraid of catching it. She took it to be some infectious fever, of which she was always so terribly afraid. The old man knew that his time was short, but to take to his bed he would not. Of all born men the most stubborn he was, as any man must be, to get on well. If I am to die of the fungus, he said, I will have a little more of it. And he went, and with his own hands hunted up a magnum of port, which had been laid by from the vintage of 1745, in the first day of Jerry Pigout, but before that he had sent for me, and I was there when he opened it. Luke, you take my breath away. Such wonderful things I have never heard, at least not in our own family. Of course, my dear, we all accept wonders with quietude, till they come home to us. Well, when he fetched out his old bottle, it was fungus inside from heel to neck. He held it up against the light, and the glass being whiter than now they make, and the wine gone almost white with age, there you could see this extraordinary growth, like cords in a bottle, and valves across it, and a long yellow sheath like a crocus flower. They'd never seen anything like it before, but he knew all about it. I know a gentleman, he grunted in his throat. He could never say gentleman, as you remember. A gentleman as would give a hundred guineas for this here bottle. Quibbles, 
You shouldn't have it for a thousand. My boy, you and I will drink it. Say no, and I'll cut off your wife with a halfpenny. Miranda, what could I do but to try to honor him to the utmost? If I had had the smallest inkling of the inquietous will he had made, of course, I never would have sat on the head of the cask, down in his dingy and reeking vaults by the hour together to please him. But never mind that. In a moment he took a long-handled knife or chopper and, holding the bottle upright, struck off the neck and a part of the shoulder, as straight as a line, at the level of the wine. Not many men could do that, he said. None of your clumsy corkscrewers for me. Now, Quibbles, here's a real treat for you. Talk of bee-swing, my boy, here's a beehive. And really it was more like eating than drinking wine, for all the body was gone into the fungus. Nastier stuff I never tasted, but luckily he took the lion's share. Now, Quibbles, I'll tell you a secret, he said after swallowing at least a quart. A very pretty girl came and kissed me the other day, and among these very bottles, such a little duck, not a bit ashamed or afeard of my fungus as my missus is, and her breath was as sweet as the violets of twenty. Well, now, my little dear, thinks I, as I stood back and looked at her, that was kind of you to kiss an old man a-dying of port wine, Fungus, and if he only lives another day you shall have the right to kiss the royal family if you cares to do it. Quibbles, I wouldn't call in you nor any other thief of a lawyer. Lawyers are very well over a glass, but keep em outside of the cellar, say I. Very good company in their way, but the only company I put trust in is the one I have dealt with all my life and many a thousand pounds I have paid them, the Royal Wine Company of Oporto. So now, if anything happens to me, though I am not in such a hurry to be binned away and walled up for the resurrection, Quibbles wait six months, and then you go to the Royal Oporto Company and ask for a gentleman of the name of Jolly Fellows. Now, Luke, I'm all anxiety to hear exclaimed mrs sharp with a sudden interruption what was the end of this very strange affair i perceive now that i have foreseen the whole of it but it is not right that you should speak so long without one morsel of refreshment it is many hours since you dined my dear and a very poor dinner you had of it you shall have a glass of white wine and a slice of tongue between a little cold roll and butter it will not in any way interrupt you I can get it all for you without ringing the bell. Only let me ask you one thing first. Why have you never told me this till now? Because, Miranda, it would disturb your mind, and I know that you cannot endure suspense. Moreover, I scarcely knew what to think of it. Poor old Fermitage. What with the fungus already in his tubes and what he was taking down might be talking sheer nonsense for all that I knew and indeed for a long time I treated it so, and I had no stomach for a voyage to Oporto, upon mere speculation and for the benefit only of some pretty girl. Then I found out by purest chance that no voyage to Oporto was needful, that old port wine who departed on his cast to a better world the day after his magnum, 
meant nothing more than the London stores and agency of the Oporto Company, and even after that I made one expedition to the minorities all for nothing. Two or three very polite young dons stared at me and thought that I was come to chaff them, or perhaps had turned up from their vaults top-heavy, when I asked for Signor Jolly Fellows, and so I came away and lost some months, and might never have thought it worth while to go again except for another mere accident. My dear, what a chapter of accidents, cried Mrs. Sharp while feeding him. I thought that you were a great deal too clever to allow any room for accidents. Women think so. Men know better, the lawyer replied sententiously. His ability was too well known to need his vindication. And, Miranda, you forget that I had as yet no personal interest in the question. But when I happened to have a Portuguese gentleman as a client, a man who had spent many years in England, and happened to be talking of our language to him, I told him one part of the story, and asked if he could throw any light on it. He told me at once that the name which had so puzzled me must be Golofalos, a Portuguese surname, by no means common, and the next time I was in town I had occasion to call in St. John Street, and found myself almost by accident again not far from the company's offices. Mr. Sharp, you left such a thing to chance, when you knew that it might pull down that dreadful woman's insolence. My dear, it is not the duty of my life to mitigate feminine arrogance, and to undertake such a crusade gratis. I am equal to take a bold stroke, as you will see, if your patience lasts, but never to such a vast undertaking. When it comes before me in the way of business, naturally I take it up but this was no business of my own. And the will was proved, and assets called in, for the old rogue did not owe one penny. Well, I went again, and this time I got a hold of the right man. Miranda, I hear the bell. The new office bell, the successor of the one that succumbed to Russell Overshoot, rang as hard as ring it could. A special messenger was come from London, and in half an hour Mr. Luke Sharp was sitting on the box of the night-up mail. End of chapter 34